Everybody there? Or on your way or close? Okay. I'm going to begin reading in verse 20. Genesis 18, beginning of verse 20. And I'll read down to verse 33. The Bible says, And the Lord said, Because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which has come unto me. And if not, I will know. And the men turned their faces from thence and went toward Sodom. But Abraham stood yet before the Lord. And Abraham drew near and said, Wilt thou destroy the righteous with the wicked? Peradventure there be fifty righteous within the city. Wilt thou also destroy and not spare the place for the fifty righteous that are therein? That be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked. That be far from thee. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And the Lord said, If I find in Sodom fifty righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. And Abraham answered and said, Behold now, I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord, which am but dust and ashes. Peradventure there shall lack five of the fifty righteous. Wilt thou destroy all the city? For lack of five? And he said, If I find there forty and five, I will not destroy it. And he spake unto him yet again, and said, Peradventure there shall be forty found there. And he said, I will not do it for forty's sake. And he said unto him, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Peradventure there shall be there shall thirty be found there. And he said, I will not do it if I find 30 there. And he said, Behold now, I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord. Peradventure there shall be 20 found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for 20's sake. And he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry. And I will speak yet but this once. Peradventure 10 shall be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for 10's sake. And the Lord went his way. As soon as he had left communing with Abraham, and Abraham returned unto his place. May God bless the reading of his word. Please bow with me in prayer. Father, we're so very grateful and and just thrilled to be able to have uh, your revelation that you have communicated to mankind. You've communicated to the whole human race in a way that we can understand and comprehend uh, that the Bible is not this nebulous, uh, hazy really uncertain thing where it's a stab in the dark about what you think and what you say that you've articulated it so clearly. And I pray, Father, that you'd help us to rightly interpret, rightly divide the scriptures tonight or this morning. And I pray, Father, that uh, as we understand uh, how you've laid things out regarding right and wrong and regarding um, issues between fellow human beings, where one is wrong, the other. Uh, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to value justice, to understand how you have established justice and what that means. And so we ask your blessing. And Father, help each one of us to reckon with justice ourselves when it comes to us. And we ask your blessing today in Jesus' precious name. Amen. And you may be seated.
Anybody here ever get to go to Israel and, and visit that place? Anybody? No. Oh. Wouldn't it be great if somebody donated a, a million dollars that we could all go together to Israel? I'd be okay with that. I'd accept that. You know, that'd be a blessing. I would love to walk where Jesus walked. What an amazing... I hear it's life... I hear it's, you know, just transformative. And I can imagine that. Um, now, of course, we don't worship the ground that Jesus... We worship Jesus and we fall before Him. Um, I know it's just a place. Someday we're going to spend eternity with Him. But oh, oh, to be a Calvary. And although I've never been there physically, I, I've been there spiritually. I've reckoned with the implications of Calvary. I hope you have too. I hope you've knelt at the cross because really burdens... It's really... If you've ever read Pilgrim's Progress... <laughs> I would ask for a show of hands, but I have a feeling it's going to be pretty dismal. Gore's, Gore's got a thumbs up. And, and Okay, we got some people here. Uh, what a great story, though. And what a picture. Uh, burdens are lifted at Calvary. The, the weight on Christians, you know, it fell off at Calvary, figuratively speaking. And I hope that's happened to you. All right, let's go in our Bibles. I want you to turn to... Romans chapter 13. I know our text is in Genesis 18, but we want to go to Romans. We are really last Sunday, we looked at Memorial Day. Uh, We looked at, so that was really part one of a series that I'm going to be doing. This is going to be part two on God's justice system. And uh, we kind of incorporated the Memorial Day, those who died for our freedoms. And the main point last Sunday, as far as God's justice, and I want you to keep this in mind, is that God does not, God is not going to resurrect, you know, ancient Syria or ancient Babylon on Judgment Day and then judge them as a nation. He judges the nations in the here and now. That's why history is so important. History is really His story. And you see nations rise, you see nations fall. And so God will judge nations, even America, in the here and now. But He judges individuals in eternity. Every one of us will give an account of ourselves to God. So that was last Sunday. And and what we want to talk about as we unfold what God says about justice... We want to understand that he is, and the title of the message this morning is the Supreme Judge. There is a Supreme Judge. And there's so much to be said about it. But in this message and in this series, just to kind of give you a little perspective long term here, it's important that you and I realize there's a verse in um, 1 Corinthians 4 5. I quote it a lot. Judge nothing before the time. And then a lot of people quote Matthew 7, 1. Judge not. Now, it's easy to rip those texts out of contest, contest and, um, and say, well, you know, we're not supposed to do any judging at all until that, you know, till the end. No, the, the idea is that hold off final judgment, understanding there's things that haven't come to the open yet. Uh, hold off. A lot of people are making conclusions about God because they're judging right now. 
You know, in other words, they look at people getting away with evil. They look at injustices. They say there's no God. Because if there was a God, and if He was good, and if He was just, then this stuff wouldn't be happening. And they forget that sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily. A lot of people are getting away with a lot of stuff, but it doesn't mean they will always get away with a lot of stuff. And by the way, before you glee in that too much, like, yeah, this person I'm thinking of is going to get their due, don't forget that applies to you and me too. You know? Oh, (laughs) so maybe we're not so um, anxious about judgment. And, And God is giving us space to repent. Anyway, so today what we want to look at is there is a supreme judge. There is someone with whom you and I are going to have to give an account. But that God who is going to dispense ultimate justice isn't just saying, okay, you know, hold off. You know, I know there's a lot of things that are messed up and someday I'm going to set it all right. That does not mean that he has not enabled and given the responsibility to mankind to execute judgment and carry out justice here and now. He has established human government for the purpose, to the best of mankind's ability, to make sure that a certain amount of justice is meted out here and now, so that evil is not just let loose. So look at Romans 13. We looked at this text last week. Let me just summarize some things as we go through this, then we're going to pray. Jump right in. Romans 13, verse 1. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. Now, God is the higher power. For there's no power but of God, the powers that be. That's earthly government. So God God is the supreme judge. He's the supreme authority. But it's not like he's saying, okay, everything's going to be willy-nilly until I come and set things straight. He has established human government. So, the powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. God has established human authority so that there would be a certain degree of peace as much as possible in a sinful society. Notice what he says. He says, for rulers are not, and this is the idea is, this is what... God has established human government to accomplish something. It doesn't mean that he never gives absolute authority to any. No human potentate, no human being has ultimate power. Please understand that. And not every human authority really understands what they're supposed to be doing and what God has given them the liberty to do. Because here's... A good government, here's what they're supposed to do. Rulers are not, the idea is they're not to be, a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. So that's the purpose of government, is to punish evildoers and reward good. Has every human government and every human authority followed that properly? Nope, they haven't. Does that mean we should defund all authorities? Absolutely not. God has given earthly authorities. They're going to be imperfect. And by the way, they, 
because they're not supreme authority, they're going to be accountable too. He says, for he is the minister of God to thee for good, but if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For notice this, he beareth not the sword in vain. This goes back to Genesis chapter 9. A sword is a, a weapon, a tool for force. And God has given certain authority to, to government so that order can be maintained. A good government punishes evil. A good government rewards good by, by pulling back and giving them freedom. Again, not every human government is perfect. But notice, he doesn't bear the sword in vain. The, the possible, of course, Romans, or Genesis 9, if you take another human life, created in the image of God, the God that created that life says there's a penalty. You take an innocent human life and you have forfeited your own life. That's clear. Now, if you don't believe that there's a God or you don't believe that God has articulated himself as our founding fathers did, then you're going to even have a problem with capital punishment because you don't understand authority. God has spoken. And notice it says that God, he is, uh, that, that the, he, the human government is a minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. When a, when a government works well, evil is punished. And that creates a certain amount of restraint. Me and uh, me, my daughter, my son, one of my daughters, one of my sons, and me went to the uh, Eastern State Penitentiary recently. Penitent, penitent, you know the place I'm talking about. And um, it's fascinating. How many of you have ever been there on a tour? Not as, a, as an inmate. Okay. All right. It is, it's, it's, by the way, it's no longer being used as a prison. It's, it's, there's tours available. It's one of America, I think it is America's first prison, isn't it? Yes. And um, just it's fascinating to take a walk down these dark, dank corridors and look in each cell, actually go in each cell, because you can get out again, and you think of, you know, for hundreds of years, there, there have been people that have spent months and months, a year or two, and early on, they didn't give long sentences. But it's amazing. And they did, in this tour, they gave a presentation. And uh, it was interesting. You know, they mentioned some of the founding fathers and the people that were very involved in s- starting our America's, you know, penal system and punishing evildoers and all that. And they did give credit and mention Benjamin Rush. But it, you know what's sad? The secular world, the secular America, gets a very sanitized version of American history. Like they mentioned Benjamin Rush. They mentioned our founding fathers. They didn't mention anything about the spiritual and religious aspect of these, these men. For example, Benjamin Rush was a deeply spiritual man that believed in the, in the blood atonement of Christ. He was, he was by clearly his own words, a born-again believer. You don't hear that. And uh, in fact, John Adams called Benjamin Rush one of the three most notable Americans' founding fathers, along with George Washington, Benjamin Franklin. You don't hear much about Benjamin Rush, uh, but he, um, 
He's been called the father of American medicine. He was involved in the, ver- the formation of the very first Bible society in America. He was very influential in the beginning of the Sunday school movement in America. And he helped organize the very first anti-slavery society in America, along with many other things. But uh, Benjamin Rush was a Bible-believing Christian. And he understood. And, and that's why so much of our American, you know, the, the judicial system, the, um, that whole thing is set up and originally was set up based on certain scriptural principles. And so we're going to look, as we look at God's justice system, we're going to see how God has given to human authorities certain liberties. In other words, we have judges. You know there were judges in the Old Testament? And God, one of the ways that God would bless a nation was by giving them good judges. I think that still applies today. But the whole thing of people committing crime, it's interesting, by the way, you study the word crime, and it is rooted into those who violate God's law. They're law breakers. In fact, one of the, the term comes from the French, which has to do with uh, the word sin is, is actually involved in that. Criminal behavior. And, and what does God say? What should happen to criminals? Yeah, they're going to get their ultimate due. Perfect justice to, is, can never be meted out by imperfect people. Given, no matter what authority, they're given authority, they're still going to make mistakes. But God has still given to us the, the responsibility to do, this, do that. So we're going to look at God's criminal justice system and how there is a parallel to a lot of aspects in America. Peter said this in 1 Peter chapter 2, and then we're going to jump in prayer. He said, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme, or unto the governors as unto them that are sent by him, sent by God, for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of them that do well. All is well in a country where its leaders do the best to make sure that evildoers are punished. All is not well in a country when people get away with doing evil. Let's bow in prayer and we're going to jump right in. Talk about the Supreme Judge. Father, thank you for your word. Help us today to understand the scriptures, your revelation. Help us to understand uh, how things are uh, regarding justice, uh, both the imperfect kind on this side of heaven and then the perfect kind on the other side of glory. And Lord, we ask your blessing in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Now, let's go to uh, Genesis chapter 18. We find an interesting interaction between Abraham and God. God is being provoked by a particular... uh, Two cities are mentioned, Sodom and Gomorrah. Actually, there was a plain in that area. There were literally five cities mentioned in Scripture. The two most notable are Sodom and Gomorrah. But these cities were marked by... Great, great immorality and breaking of God's laws and civil laws. And God was being provoked and their immorality and wickedness 
was the picture is that there's actually a cry up to heaven for judgment. By the way, whenever there's injustice going on, like there was with Israel when they were in slavery for years, and they cried out to God, but that injustice is heard from heaven. And though it seems like we're like, what took God? And many Jews would say, why did God take forever to respond and set things right? But when he finally did, in bringing Moses, he said, I have heard their cry. Well, here he hears the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah. And it's, it, it, their sin is demanding justice. So let's look at Genesis chapter 18 and beginning in verse 20. Um, Genesis 18 and verse 20. The Lord said, because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which is coming to me, and if not, I will know. Don't, don't ever forget that God is omniscient. Now you can read that verse and say, he doesn't sound too omniscient. He's got to do an investigation. He's got to find out. And this, this kind of language is used in, in other places in Scripture, and, and as well with Jesus, not because there's information he needs to know. It's There's going to be official action taken. So there is an official inquiry, and that's, that's what this is all set for. And we see this in several other examples in the Scripture. So in verse 21, I will go down now and see whether they've done all together. According to that, the men turned their faces from thence and went toward Sodom. This was, this was when God came, along with some angels, appearing as men. They actually ate with Abraham. You remember that whole interlude? Uh, in the previous chapters. And then Abraham begins to intervene because God is getting ready to judge this area of Sodom and Gomorrah and the three other cities. He's getting ready. He's about ready. You know, again, so many other places in Scripture, God gives us space to repent. But there comes a time. His spirit will not always strive with man. There comes a time when he says, okay, that's enough. He's done that historically in judging entire nations. And so here he comes down and Abraham begins to intervene with the God of all creation. The God who is the supreme judge. And in his, it's interesting because Abraham knows who he's talking to. It's interesting, in a court of law, there needs to be a certain fear of authority. Fear to whom fear is due, honor to whom honor is due, Paul says in Romans. And that's definitely true with authority. When people have no respect for authority, uh, that's not a healthy sign. I've been to many trials. When we had the prison ministry, I'd often go to help be an encouragement. And so, uh, been to Delaware County Courthouse, the lo- just a bunch of local ones. I, I'm so fascinated by America's court system. And when it works right, it's a blessing to see. Uh, And if you've ever been to Delaware County, the courthouse is beautiful. Some of the rooms are just plush, the work. And and there's a certain, if if you have a respect for authority, there's a certain fear. When you go in a courtroom, first they got the, you know, the deputies there with their guns and there's a certain quietness there. 
And I've gone with a bunch of different people, and, and most of the ones I've been with have had respect for the judge. There's a couple times where during the trials, some one of the defendants or somebody there would have total disregard for the judge, and the judge would set them straight. And I really love that. I mean, it, I remember one time, in fact, right down here down the road at the police there's a township, um, somebody had a, a vulgar T-shirt. And I was so proud of this judge because he stopped the proceedings and he said, sir, that shirt offends me. And it's like all of a sudden, whoa. In fact, when the judge says something like that, there's a certain, you know, you don't want to talk. If, if you get, you know, if the judge says, what, if he calls you out, most people are like, they have a respect for authority. There needs to be a certain hesitation when you understand power and authority to judge. And, and I'm grateful for that. There's been, again, a few times where someone has shown total disregard and it never benefited them. You know, you're going you're gonna to develop an attitude with me? Fine, you're going back. You know, we'll just, we'll just stay in prison for a couple more months. But here, Abraham had a healthy respect. He was approaching the judge of the earth. And you notice that. So, Abraham drew near, verse 23, Genesis eighteen twenty-three. Abraham drew near and said, Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Peradventure there be fifty righteous within the city. Wilt thou also destroy and not spare the place for the fifty righteous that are therein? That be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the, with the wicked, and that the righteous should be not as the wicked. That be far from thee. And notice this last statement. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Wow. So God's getting ready to destroy and judge Sodom and Gomorrah. And here Abraham is pleading, Lord, if there's 50 righteous, will you, will you spare it? And, and notice God doesn't say, you are so impertinent, Abraham. And then, zap them, you know. No. God is, he's just, he's holy, he's powerful, but he is a fair and a good God. And so he responds to that. The Lord said in verse 26, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. Wow. What a major concession. Isn't that amazing? But for some reason, Abraham thought like he had to press it a little. I think a lot of people think that, you know, he was specifically had Lot's family in mind. It would have been 10. And so he's 50. He's like, oh, okay. And now look at verse 27. Abraham answered and said, Behold, now I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord, which am but dust and ashes. See, there's a man who knows his place. He's not arrogant. He's not making demands on God. He's making an appeal. Peradventure there shall lack five of the fifty righteous. Wilt thou destroy all the city for lack of five? And then, as you know the story, and there's great hesitation, he gets them all the way down to, uh, to ten. For twenty, and then ten in verse 32. And again, he may very well have been thinking of Lot's family, thinking that there was at least ten righteous, ended up there was not. But, but again, I want you to look at that phrase. How does he address God? 
the judge of all the earth. And notice the question. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? It's the bottom line. That's the claim that God is the judge of all the earth and he does right. In fact, look at how many people that are blaming God because they think justice should be happening in their time frame. That's why 2 Peter 3.9 is so important. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. All right, we've got to pray. I'm, I'm, I'm already, the introduction's done. We're, we're in here, but let's just pray, okay? Father, help us as we study the scriptures and learn of thee in your ways. We ask your blessing. In Jesus' precious name, amen. So we're looking at the judge. The word judge uh, actually comes from the Latin. It's compound word. Same root word as the word jurisdiction, judicial, the judge. Two com- uh, compound words, the word just for law or right, and then the word D-I-C-O, dicto or dico, is to pronounce. So judging, uh, someone that judges is pronouncing right or pronouncing the law. You know, making the statement of what's right and wrong. The judge has the ability to pronounce right and wrong. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 13 says this, Of God. It says, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight. But all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Think of that statement. All things are naked. In other words, nothing's hidden unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. In other words, we have to give an account. He's the one. There is a supreme judge that every human being must give an account to. You and I will be called into question. You and I will give an account. You say, well, I don't believe in God. Still going to give an account. I wrote a track, we wrote a track called Surprise because this, this is one of the biggest thoughts in my mind. I marvel how many people just dismiss the spiritual reality that there's going to be a judgment day. And they, they don't think twice. Like I, I look at so many people, you, you're going to go to your grave? What's going to happen? Well, I don't believe in God. And they're confident with that. They're going to have the biggest surprise when I hear someone that has understood that, you know, the claims of Jesus Christ. I mean, there's this person that claims to be God in the flesh who historically, the, the story is that he, was, he died was buried, and then rose again, and that someday he's coming again. And with that claim, there's people that are willing to dismiss that. My thought to them is, you are, you're a huge gambler. You have a gambling problem? Call 1-800 now. It's amazing. We're getting that thrown in our faces, aren't we, in Pennsylvania? But, you know, if you have heard the claims of Christianity, even a little bit, and you're willing to dismiss the fact that there's a God who is the judge, 
you've got a serious gambling problem. And someday you're going to stand before God. That's going, that's going to be the biggest surprise, isn't it? To open your eyes on the other side and, and realize there is an eternity. So, let me give you the... the um, we're going to go in... this Again, it's going to be the next couple of weeks. And probably today we're just going to do the office of the judge, the supreme judge. And uh, Hebrews 4.13, I just quoted it. It says, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight. Psalm 139, beginning in verse 7. And you may be familiar with this. The psalmist says, Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I free, free, flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me. Thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, Surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee. But the night shineth as the day, the darkness as the uh, and the light are both alike to thee. There's this is not a desire. There, there's nothing that is going to be hidden from God. His jurisdiction is everywhere. And someday, someday you and I are going to have to answer to God. Now, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at God's justice system. And and. Probably we'll end with this this next point this morning. There's coming a day where all men must appear unless they've taken God's other way. It's called the Great White Throne Judgment. You ever heard of that? It's a very real judgment. The great white throne. John writes about it in Revelation chapter 20. It is a fear, fearful, fearsome, awesome thing that someday, in fact, John says, I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. What an ironic statement. I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the picture is very clear that. People who died, even the ones that it's mentioned there, that are buried at sea, you know, everyone, they're gonna, they, they stand before God at this great white throne judgment. And they're going to answer for their works. They're going to be judged by the supreme judge. Hebrews 9.27 If you have not heard this verse before, I would encourage you to become very familiar with it. In fact, if you, as a believer, witness to other people, this would be a very important verse for you to have tucked away. Hebrews 9.27 says, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. That's real. An appointment. It's appointed. We all have an appointment with death. It's appointed unto men once to die. And here's, this is the big surprise. After this. Oh, that's going to be a shock. How many people go to their graves saying, okay, this is it. I'm about to, re- I'm about to enter 
non-existence. And they're really convinced there's nothing after death. Because they see people die all the time and no one's come back for so long. They don't think anyone's ever come back. How many people confidently enter into eternity thinking that's the end? The guy in Luke chapter 16, he did that. There was two people Jesus shared uh, Lazarus, a man named Lazarus, and, and the rich man. That's all he's called, the rich man. Fared sumptuously, lived a good life. Says Lazarus died and went to Abraham's bosom. The Bible says the rich man died and in hell he lifted up his eyes being in torments. That's sad. That's sad. But folks, you and I have to understand Justice is not perfectly be meet, being meted out right now. Am I right with it, about that? It's not being uh, righted out. You've been wronged. And that can be one of the biggest challenges in life is when people have wronged you and got away with it. And if you did not believe that there was a supreme judge who's going to set things straight then you'll miss it. In fact, let's close. Turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans 12. We're gonna, we'll deal with the great way throne next Sunday. I want you to look at Romans chapter 12. I feel bad for people that don't understand the Bible truth that there is a God and He is just and that someday He's going to set things straight. Because they don't have this promise. Look at Romans chapter 12. Beginning in verse 17. Recompense, that's repay, pay back. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Don't repay evil for evil. What about people that really do you wrong? Well, look at verse 19. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. This this goes against everything in our nature, doesn't it? Yeah. Let me first ask you, have you ever been done wrong by someone and they got away with it? Anybody like that? Maybe just one or two. Okay, one person. Obviously, we've had that happen, right? And it's very unsettling. Maybe the justice system failed you. That's possible, isn't it? Maybe uh, the people that are in authority in your life failed you. That's possible. So what do you do? You get bitter, right? No, you're not supposed to. How can you not be bitter? I've met so many people. Because they have been wronged, that have just stewed the rest of their lives. But look what God says. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. Step back for a minute away from the situation and let there be room for justice to take place. Not in your time. Look what it says. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. See, the only way, folks, that you and I can endure when this world 
doesn't execute perfect justice is to realize that there's coming a day when everything's going to be everything's going to come out in the light and God is going to set things straight. You know as a pastor when you become a pastor you become you make yourself vulnerable. You know, you're here for the church, you become available and um and that gives people some people over the years just some people will abuse their privileges. Spurgeon put it that way in one of his things. And um, It's very easy to get hurt in the ministry. That's why a lot of pastors have stepped down, because you become vulnerable. But I've come to realize, and the same is true just being a part of a church. And there's a lot of people that have forsaken church for the very reason. Oh, Christians, they're all hypocrites. I'm not going there. They want to avoid being hurt. Well, I find comfort in in a text in Hebrews. Let me just read it to you. Um, The Bible talks about church leaders. And it says in Hebrews... Hebrews 13, 17... Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give an account. And in, earlier on, it talks, or in verse 17, talks about those who have spoken unto you the word of God. So there's church, there's a certain authority structure in church. That's one of the authorities. And so God tells us that we need to submit in a limited way, jurisdiction, to our spiritual leaders because they watch for our souls. And then here's what, I want to, here's what I want you to notice. That this verse has actually blessed me. Because there's times when people that have come in. And showed no regard for my feelings. And, they, and then they just. You know. They'll say stuff. And they'll do something. And then they just go on their very way. Goodbye Bible Baptist. Goodbye Pastor Lion. Good riddance to you. And I'm sitting there going. You can't do that to me. That hurt. <laughs> you know. And. And. And at times, and I've known a lot of pastors that have left the ministry because of it. It's so easy to get your feelings hurt. But I've found comfort in this. Look what, look what God says in Hebrew, if you're not there. Hebrews, Hebrews 13, 17. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give an account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. I'm not sure there are all the ramifications, but here's what I do know. Someday... Those that have been under my spiritual watch care, I'm going to give an account for them. Now, I would usually be like, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. But the implication of this verse is, if I can't give a good account for someone that's been under my ministry for a little while, that's, not, that's unprofitable for them. So, again, I don't know all the implications, but I do know this. There's coming a day where the people, where I have had no say, where I'm going to be able to stand before God and say, you know, that person was not an easy person to pastor. And all I know is God's going to take care of it one way or another. And I'm not looking for vengeance. Lord, this person was mean to me. Would you please zap them? No. But I know that God's going to set things straight. And by the way, the other go- that goes the other way too. I mentioned this recently. Maybe, I forget when it, might have been last week. 
There was a pastor in um, Indiana, I think it was, in Warsaw, Indiana, New Life Christian Church. And apparently he made an announcement that he was going to he was going to make a confession to the church because he had committed adultery years ago. And and it was a kind of a mega church <laughs> from our standards. Uh, there was a lot of people there, and this pastor stood up. Now, there was a young girl that had grown up in the church, wasn't going to that church. She found out, and last minute decided that they were going to come to the service, which is what this thing went viral. Some of you may have seen it. And he confessed, and it seemed like a tender time. He confessed that he had committed adultery like so many years ago, and he was going to step down, which was the honorable thing. And it seemed like a tender moment, and everybody clapped after, because I think they saw the contrition and all. And then a lady and her husband walked up to the front. She was the the one that he had committed adultery with, when she was 16 years old. He stole her purity. Now she's married. And she had the opportunity to give her side. By the way, that's why it went viral. And she has gotten all kinds of support, which is a blessing. Right there in front, she confronted this man who seemed to be coming to the light, but wasn't totally coming to the light. You know, and it just, it, it everything was made manifest it doesn't always happen that way. And so, you know, he stepped down and, you know, in some way she got some justice and just being able to make something public. And she ended up getting major support as she should have. So, that you know, there's an example. Not everything comes out in the open like that. It is a blessing when certain things are revealed in the here and now. Some men's sins are manifest beforehand. Some go after, Hebrews says. The important thing is, folks, you and I can know that there is a just God that is on the throne. And He, he is not oblivious to things, injustices that are taking place. And someday, Every knee will bow. Someday justice is going to take place. In the meantime, as Romans 12 says, we need to give place under wrath. There are times, folks, where you just have to give it over to God. Vengeance is mine. I will repay. By the way, when we're all done this, one of the things I want to lay out, I close with this. You and I are very keyed in on our how we've been hurt, the people that have wronged us. Don't forget, you're not pure as the driven snow yourself. And I'm not saying that to offend, oh, pastor. No, I'm saying we are all sinners. And there may very well be people that you don't even know that you hurt by your words or by your lack of words. So before you and I get too (laughs) on them, let's remember that we also deserve judgment. You got There's so much here, and we're going to pick up with it next week. So you have to come back. Okay, let's bow in prayer. Father, thank you so much for your word. 
Father, we, we take comfort in knowing that the Lord God omnipotent reigneth, but that you are not a tyrant, that you are not an unjust God, and that, Father, you are on the throne, you are working all things according to the counsel of your will, and that if things that people may mean for evil, you work them together for good to them that love you, and the things that people mean for evil, if you allow it, you mean it for good. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us. Help us not to despair. Help us to rest in your omnipotent hands and know that someday justice will take place. And Father, though we haven't mentioned it today, thank you, thank you, thank you for the justice that took place on Calvary. And that simply because of that, our burdens and our sins can be lifted at Calvary. And we ask your blessing in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Let's take our hymn books out, please.